هذا القرآن يوحدنا لطريق الخير يوجهنا الله تعالى أنزله ورسول الله معلمنا ورسول الله معلمنا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد My dear brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته so Alhamdulillah, I had the opportunity to go to Bermuda this past week and I just got back on Tuesday. And I want to share an experience with you that I experienced while I was there. And I was swimming in the Atlantic Ocean. You know, when you go swimming over here, you're generally in a pool. There's no waves, there's no currents. You don't have to worry about any animals. You know, everything's good to go. So when I first got to the Atlantic Ocean, I'm thinking about how am I going to approach this? The first thing that caught me off guard was how freezing cold the water was. <laughs> so there's no, you know, climate control, nothing like that at all. So I'm slowly taking steps inside. <laughs> then the second thing I start to notice is that there's actual holes inside the ground. So the water is like crystal clear blue, but there's like holes inside the sand. And slowly you realize that there are animals right underneath you. So you'll see like a snake swimming around. And there's this animal called uh, the Portuguese man of war. That's the actual name of the animal. And it's like a jellyfish that, you know, if it stings you, it just holds on to your, your, your limb. And it doesn't let go until it dies. That's the only way it'll let go. So all these things are going through my mind. But at that time, I'm focused that, you know, this is something that's on my to-do list and I need to get it done. No matter what, I have to get it done. So finally, you know, I come back the second day now. I'm more prepared. I'm prepared for the, for the weather, prepared for the cold temperature, prepared for the animals. And I'm like, Bismillah, let's go in. And as soon as I go inside, I'm talking maybe about, maybe about 15 feet away from the shore, 20 feet away from the shore, you see like 10 foot waves. And I just try standing there. My feet are planted inside the sand, and no matter what I did, I couldn't fight off the wave. And as, as big of a guy as I am, I just couldn't do it. Every time a wave would come, I would get pushed back, I would get moved back. And then I would have to fight my way back, you know, to get back to that position where I was. And it was at that time that I had, you know, some of the deepest reflections at that time. You know, from the reflections I had at that time, was the way we try to play with the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what I mean by that is that when it comes to the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we take this very lackadaisical approach that qadr will come and it will change our lives for the better. But something that I learned at that time was that the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that you have to maneuver around and something that you have to control. You cannot let it control you. Through the actions that you take, that will become your qadr, that will become your destiny. And that's what I learned that as soon as a wave was coming, rather than standing there trying to plant my feet and get beaten up by that wave, if you just duck your head and you swim underneath the wave, you can just go completely past it and you'll go completely unaffected. And that's what led me to my second reflection was changing your belief systems. Meaning that each and every one of us has a belief system, which is our core, you know, through which we stand firm in our tidal waves. So when the qadr of Allah comes, when some calamity happens, when something bad happens, what is it that will ground you? What keeps you firm? What keeps you solid? 
And that's something that made, you know, I reflected upon at that time that the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that you need a strategy for. That if you're not prepared for it, it can be completely overwhelming. And it actually brought me back to what our halaqa will be about tonight. And that was, you know, going forward as a community. Where are we trying to go? What are we trying to do? And there's that famous saying that uh, a chain is as strong as its weakest link. A chain is as strong as its weakest link. And that is what I want to assess here tonight, bithinlahi ta'ala. You know, how strong of an individual are you? You know, when it comes to the community, are you holding the community back? Or, actually, or will you actually be able to be productive and help the community move forward, bithinlahi ta'ala? Now with that having been said, I want to give an introduction in terms of how this is going to work. It's not going to be your typical halaqa. There are not going to be too many ayat, there are not going to be too many hadith. There's going to be a lot of experiences that I experienced. So let's start off with the very first one. That, alhamdulillah, I graduated from the Islamic University of Medina in July 2008. And then I finally came back in December 2008. And for that six months while I was stuck in Medina, what was actually happening was, that's when like the first phase of gas wars started to happen. So each day the, the fluctuation of gas price is making it more difficult for me to leave. How so? I have 4,000 kilograms of books that I need to ship back. And they're not going to ship my books back until I pay them. So each week I'm working saving up money to ship my books back, but the gas prices going, keep going higher and higher and I keep getting stuck in Medina. Now you can imagine you know, what's wrong with getting stuck in Medina, but more behind the story, my daughter has been born now for about six months and I haven't seen her yet. So she was born in April and here we are in December and I still haven't seen my daughter you know, physically. And subhanAllah, that was a very troubling time for me. So eventually I come back to North America, uh, it's December 3rd, it's December 3rd, 2008. And I think, you know what, I'm going to come and change Canada. This is going to become, become my, you know, Khilafah empire. I'm going to be a new Khalifa of Canada. <laughs> Lo and behold, nothing like that ever happened. So I come into Canada and, you know, I start going to the different masajids, start speaking to the different imams. And some of them were very threatened that, you know, I was a native born, graduated from Medina. And they started banning me from giving khutbahs and halaqat inside the masajid. So that was like the first uh, deterrent I faced. Then the second one was that, you know, since I graduated from Medina, it wasn't an issue for the, for, for the seven years I was there, but as soon as I come back, I get labeled as a Wahhabi, this hardcore Salafi guy that's gonna, you know, destroy the community. So then you have the other half of the masajid that are preventing me from doing any activities. So I can't work in any of the masajid, can't give any halaqat, can't give any khutbas, and that seven years that I spent studying, it seems that it's going nowhere. Then I look at my relationship with my parents. My parents see me just sitting at home all day, you know, reading or, you know, spending time with, the, with my wife and kids and not doing anything. And they're like, what are you doing in your life? So they're getting upset at me. They're like, you need to get more productive and proactive. And I'm trying to tell them that, look, I'm trying my best, but I just can't do anything. And then eventually this starts affecting my relationship with my wife and my daughter. That, you know, I have to provide for them. I need to have some sort of income. But no matter where I went, you know, I couldn't find any form of job. I couldn't work in any masjid. And then I'm stuck there. And slowly but surely, all of these things, they started to have a negative impact on my deen. And I remember, it was maybe around three or four weeks after coming back, that I missed my first Fajr Salah. And subhanAllah, that was such a painful moment. Because in Medina, you're used to hearing the Adhan. From my house, I could hear the Adhan of Masjid al-Nabwi. From my house, I heard the Adhan of Masjid al-Nabwi every single day. 
And then here you are, you're waking up to some, you know, crummy alarm clock that's going beep, 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 or some sort of siren that's driving you crazy. That's how you're waking up for Fajr. And then one night, I don't know what happened. I might have turned it off. I didn't turn it on. I don't remember. But I just remember waking up and I felt disgusting. Honestly, despicable. I'm like, what has happened to my life that here I am even missing my salah? And that was like a, a turning point in my life that that was like rock bottom. That, you know, I've missed a salah now and I'm like, I need to do something about this. Now, time eventually goes on. I'm trying different things. I'm thinking about going back to school, you know, trying a master's program. That is like a complete story on its own. And one thing after another, nothing is really going my way. Until in March 2009, this is about four months later, I come across this course, which is, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, understanding the language of the mind. And this for me was like the biggest change of event. This was the biggest change of events for me. And this is what I want to share with you. Because I'm sure each of you have your own predicaments, you have your own problems. So I want to share with you what was the turning point in my life. So what I need right now is I need to make sure everyone has those three sheets of paper. So the brothers that just came in, if we can get them the three sheets of paper within Allah Ta'ala. So let's get them those three sheets of paper. And while we're waiting for that to be done, um, do we have anyone that truly believes they're a good driver over here? That they believe, honestly speaking, I am a very good driver. Anyone believe that? This is humbling. Usually guys, mashallah, they're very uh, outspoken about their driving skills. No good drivers here? Interesting. Khair, we'll see how this goes with Allah Ta'ala. We will see how this goes. That you feel you're a good driver. That you just feel like you're a good driver. I'm really amazed that no one thinks that they're a good driver here. Because I had the accident, so I You had an accident. Alhamdulillah, you're still safe. You're still safe, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Did you have your license yet? Alhamdulillah. So now you have these three sheets of paper with you. And this is how we're going to divide up the three sheets of paper with Allah Ta'ala. This is how we're going to divide up the three sheets of paper. On the first sheet of paper, I want you to make, um, I guess, seven rows. Make seven rows. Okay, make seven rows going down. So, yeah, evenly. So divide your page into seven rows. Seven rows. Seven rows. So it's going down. No, no, with your, yeah, with your pen. You don't need to actually fold it. Just make lines with your pen. Divide it into seven. Okay. So now, in each row, you're going to be placing a title. In each row, you're going to be placing a title. So the title for row number one is Dean. The title for row number one is Dean. So just put that title inside of that row. The title for row number two is family. Title for row number two is family. Title for row number three is finances. Title for row number three is finances. Title for row number four, title for row number four is career. Title for row number four is career. 
title for row number five is health. Title for row number five is health. Title for row number six is social life. Title for row number six is social life. And title for row number seven is what we will call emotions. Title for row number seven is what we will call emotions. Okay? So now, what I want you to do with each column, and this is a very private and intimate exercise. So if you're someone that's really shy and you, know, you don't want other people knowing your business, I would suggest you spread out in the masjid. Like, mashallah, we have a lot of space. If, because this, is, you know, this is exercise will only work best if you're truly honest with yourself. If you're truly honest with yourself. So if you want to hide stuff from people, now is the time to move away so no one can see your paper. <laughs> okay. So now what I would like you to do, what I would like you to do, is I want you to imagine that for each row, I'm asking you a question. And that question is, how are you in this category? How are you in this category? And then your response is, I am 10 out of 10. I am 10 out of 10. So what I want you to write is just one sentence in each row about what your 10 out of 10 looks like in each category. So for example, the first one is Deen. For your Deen to be 10 out of 10, what would it take? Would you have to be waking up for Qiyamul Layl? Would you have to be giving you know, $100 of charity each month? Would you have to be you know, sponsoring an orphan, memorizing the Quran? What does it take? Then you go on to your finances. What does it mean for your finances to be 10 out of 10? For one person it means that, you know, I have $100,000 saved up in my bank account. For another person it means that I can just pay off my expenses, right? So that's what I, that's what I want to do as an exercise right now. So for each row, I want you to write down what does your 10 out of 10 look like in one sentence? What does your 10 out of 10 look like in one sentence? Does everyone understand? Anyone not clear? Anyone not understand? Go ahead. What's your question? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> Here we go. Okay. So for, you have seven categories in front of you, right? And we want to assess what your perfection in this category looks like. So for you to be 10 out of 10 in your deen, what would that look like? What would you have to be doing for your deen to be 10 out of 10? Your finances, what would you have to be doing for your finances to be 10 out of 10? Your family, what would you have to be doing to be a 10 out of 10 to be, you know, uh, in that field. So you want to express yourself what it looks like to be a 10 out of 10 in each of these fields, and you shouldn't take more than five minutes. Okay, so all the guys in the front, is everyone in the front done now? Anyone not finished yet? Not finished? Excellent. Our brothers in the back, our brothers that came in late, how many of you are still working? Raise your hands. You're still working? Okay, so you have like another two minutes, and I have to move on to the next section, inshallah. I'll tell you a story about Bermuda. You know, um, one of the really humbling things about Bermuda is that there's only three masajid in the whole, you know, 40 kilometer radius that they have. And these three masajid, they're created for 700 people. Like that is the Muslim population. And the imams of these masajid, subhanAllah, they seem as if they're from the time of the Sahaba. And I'll explain this, why I say this. One of the Imams, he's been the Imam of the Masjid for 25 years. And he doesn't know more than about 15 surahs from the Quran from Juz Amma. And 
he's been worth serving the community as the Imam without taking any money. He lives inside the masjid, bathes inside the masjid, cooks inside of this masjid. His family lives inside of the masjid. And it was just a, a surreal experience. And subhanAllah, you know, I looked at all three communities and this Imam in particular, he had the love and devotion of his community. That you know, if he told his community tonight, we're going to like, you know, all gonna jump into the ocean, his whole community would have followed him. And this is like a very valuable lesson for me, that a lot of the times as leaders, not only Imams, we expect our communities to, you know, sacrifice themselves for us, that just because we're in the leadership authority. But if you look at the example of the Prophet Sallallahu he was just as willing to sacrifice himself for his community and as a result, his community was willing to sacrifice themselves for him. And this is like a big lesson for me that in order for any of us, no matter whatever role you have in life, that whatever you expect from the people is what you have to give back to the people as well in terms of commitment. And if you're not willing to give them 100% of your commitment, you can't expect 100% of commitment for, from them because that's just not the way life works. A second thing that I realized in Bermuda is subhanAllah, how spoiled we are living in Canada. Um, I had a really freaky incident coming back that I was really thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, usually when I come back into Canada, they, they have a, you know, like a buffet with my, with my luggage that they'll scrutinize each and everything, open up all of my clothes, go through my travel kit, go through all of my papers, and they, they scrutinize it beginning to end. And it was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was one of the few times that they're like, you know what, let this guy go through. And I was so grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when I came home, I opened up my suitcase. <laughs> I nearly gave my wife a heart attack. We had cockroaches this big come out of my bag. <laughs> and it was like, subhanAllah, you don't notice it while you're there. But there were cockroaches everywhere. And I thought I killed all of them that I was staying with. But I found literally, without exaggeration, a cockroach this big. I tried to kill it with a, with a tissue paper. And then when I smushed it, it was so, like it had such a strong shell that it cut through the tissue paper. <laughs> like that's how bad it was. So that was like another lesson. How spoiled we are living in the West. And then I think all the guys in the back are done now. Is everyone in the back done? Okay, excellent. So we move on to part two of this exercise. Part two of this exercise that stick with page number one still. Stick with page number one. What I would like you to do is I want you to be completely honest with yourself and write what are you out of 10 right now in that category? Be completely honest with yourself. Just put a number that I am, you know, 6 out of 10. I am 3 out of 10 in this category compared to the goal that you would like to have. So for each category, I would like you to write down what you are currently in that category. What you are currently in that category. Time and finish. We're going to move on to page number 3 now. Now I want you to get page number 3 out. Your blank piece of paper. Get out page number 3. And on page number three, what I would like you to do is to create a pie chart divided into seven sections. Divided into seven sections. Okay? Create a pie chart and divide it into seven sections. Seven equal. Well, I mean, to the best of your ability, just create seven sections. It doesn't have to be equal, but just create seven sections. And then just put the first letter of each section towards the ending. So like the first one is going to be Deen. So towards the edge, just put the letter D and that's going to represent your Deen. And then you have F for like finances, another F for family, and put it towards the outsider edges. And then what I would like you to do for one of the sections is to do this, that fill, I fill it out in terms of making points 
from 1 to 10, from bottom to top. So you start off from the middle point, that's going to be your 0, and then you move up all the way up until 10, and 10 is the outer line. So mark 1, and then 2, and then 3, and then 4, because you're going to be making a, a chart out of this. You're going to be making a chart out of this. So just do that for one of them, so that when you fill it out, you have an idea of what a 3 out of 10 looks like in that field, or a 5 out of 10 looks like in that field. Okay? You fill out numbers onto your pie chart, and this is what it ends up looking like. This is what it ends up looking like. Now, to put this into perspective, what does this mean? Ibn al-Qaim rahimahullah, he describes the... Guys, over here. Yeah, I just need you to quiet down for one minute. Ibn al-Qaim rahimahullah, he describes the, the, the life of this world as a journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what the life of this world is. It is a journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what this pie chart represents is the vehicle that you're taking on that journey. The vehicle that you're taking on that journey. So this circle is your wheel right there. You can imagine if it's not perfectly round, how bumpy your journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually is going to be. How bumpy your journey to, actually, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually is going to be. So what I want you to do right now is to fill out your chart and see what your life or your journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks like. So just fill out that chart right now inshallah. Are you done? Can I see what your wheel looks like? <laughs> Let's look at the wheel. Let's see how it looks. No, no, I do. I, I, I made mistake. You already, you, you had a, an accident already. Your car crashed. <laughs> this is what I was asking about. Who thinks they're a good driver? This tells you how good of a driver you are. You're finished? Let's see your wheel. MashaAllah. Hey, at least you have a semi-wheel. Alhamdulillah, that's good. Yours, I don't know even what that is. <laughs> That's like a hexagon. <laughs> That's good, mashallah. Who else is done? If you're done, just hold up your wheel. <laughs> Part of your wheel is missing. A lot of your wheel is missing. Your wheel, I don't know how you're going to travel with that. <laughs> I think you only have like one part of your wheel. <laughs> Mashallah. Mashallah, that's a pretty balanced wheel. Alhamdulillah, that's not bad. Taib. So uh, you guys should be finishing this up. You understand where this is going. So now, remember the basis of our talk or discussion for the next couple of weeks is moving forward as a community. And I started off this discussion today by saying that a community is only as strong as its weakest link. So each and every member of this community right now they need to make sure that their personal lives are in order before they can make any form of positive change inside the greater community. And this is what I want to focus on the first two halaqahs, tonight's halaqah and next week's halaqah, is these seven categories. That in your life, you want to make sure that you're balanced, you're in order, so that you can give back to the community and that you can serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way you're meant to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what I want you to do with the last sheet of paper, and this is something you can do when you get home, bidhanillahi ta'ala, that is, if you can just take your third, the third sheet of paper out, is that that's supposed to have seven rows in it already with the title headings on it. What I would like you to do when you go home is just write down two things that you can do in terms of action points that will help you achieve the, your goal. So for example, someone's religious goal was, I want to memorize the Quran. Okay, did anyone have that as a goal for their religious, for deen? How many people had memorization of Quran? Excellent. So for you guys, here's like one of your action points. Your action points is, you know, make sure I sign up for next semester Hafidun. So you come and speak to Brother Fadi and you get signed up for the Quran program. 
Step number two is that you find a memorization buddy that I need to find someone to memorize the Quran with. So I'm going to, you know, send out an email to the community saying, look, I'm looking for someone to memorize the Quran with who wants to be my Quran partner. So those are tangible action points that you can take that will help you achieve your goal. And for each of the seven categories, you want to find tangible action points that you can take. Because as you'll notice that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He always pairs Iman and Amal together. That Iman in theory is of no relevance whatsoever up and until it is acted upon. Similarly over here, you have your 10 out of 10 what it would look like and what you could have the potential to achieve. Now the question is, what are you going to do to achieve it? What are you going to do to make sure you have a perfect and complete circle in your journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So you want to write down two action points that you can take and then write those out in Bidhi Ta'ala and you start taking action. So that's something for you to work on when you go home. Now for our discussion, I want to start off with understanding our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What I want to do is start off by addressing our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this will be the crux of our deen. And then bidhi ta'ala will discuss the, the other six components of our lives in next week's halaqa or next Friday night bidhi ta'ala. With that having been said, understanding our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was once in the marketplace and there was a woman that had lost her child. And this woman, she ran from side to side, from corner to corner. And each time she would pass by a child, she would pick up and would embrace that child. And then she would let it go. And you can imagine that this woman, she has tears pouring out of her eyes, flooding out of her eyes, because she has lost her child. And then eventually, after having gone through the whole marketplace, lo and behold, she finds her child. She picks up her child and she embraces it. The Messenger of Allah and his companions, they witnessed this great extravaganza, if you want to call it that. And he asked them a very potent question. He asked them, do you think this woman would ever throw her child into the fire? And you can imagine that this woman who had tears of anguish, tears of pain, tears of sorrow coming down her eyes, has now converted those tears of sorrow, anguish and pain into tears of happiness you know, and joy. That is what they had just witnessed. And the Messenger of Allah asks them, do you think that this woman would ever throw their chi her child into the fire? The Messenger of Allah is told unanimously, Kalla ya Rasulullah. She would never do that. It's not possible that every woman, every mother loves her child to such a great degree. And then the Messenger of Allah went on to define what our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. He wanted to say, Allahu arhamu bi'ibadihi min hadihi biwaladiha. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more merciful, more compassionate, more loving, more caring towards his slaves than this woman is towards her child. And then this develops our perspective in life now. That everything that happens in our life coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is based upon the mercy, compassion, and love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what you need to figure out in your life. That at times certain events may have happened in your life that you blame yourself for. Perhaps it was a sin that you committed. Perhaps it was a grave error that you made. And in your mind you keep feeling this regret that why did I do this? Why did I make this mistake? And this is what actually prevents you from moving forward as an individual. But little do you realize this regret that you feel it's based upon a fallacy. And that fallacy is that had I taken the other path, I would have been happier. Had I done the other decision or made the other decision, I would have been happier. But you do not know that for sure. 
You perhaps could have ended up dying. Something tragic could have happened. You could be in the worst off state had you made that decision. You do not know that. Now one of the psychological tactics that you learn in terms of being optimistic in life is that you have to come to believe with certainty that the decision that you made was in your best interests. The decision that you made was in your best interests. Now how do you develop such a philosophy? Number one, through your Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Learning the names and attributes of Allah, they teach you this. That a Lord that is Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim and Al-Kareem and Al-Mannan and Al-Ghafoor and Al-Tawwab. He would never abandon his slave. He would never allow something purely negative to happen to his slave. Then the second thing is your personal perspective. That you need to develop a philosophy in life. And that philosophy in life is that I will only become a failure in life if I choose not to learn from my mistakes. I will only become a failure in life if I choose not to learn from my mistakes. And when you develop this philosophy, everything that ends up happening to you is some sort of victory, either a great one or a small one. Because at the very least, you ended up benefiting from the event that happened in your life. And you can warn others and you can take heed yourself that you do not fall into the same mistake. Now with that having being said, how do we further analyze the trials and tribulations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends us? The first thing you have to understand is that you have to learn to expect trials in life. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us in the Quran time and time again that you will be tested and you will be tried. That does mankind think they will be left to say we believe and not be tried? Meaning that each stage of your life, each moment of your life is a trial. And this is where another paradigm shift needs to take place. And that is, a trial does not always mean that you're feeling some sort of pain. But rather the greatest trials in life are the ones that you don't feel any pain at all. And those are the trials of prosperity. So each moment of your life is either a moment of patience, where it goes against your desire, or it is a moment of gratitude where you are given what you have desired. So it is either a moment of patience or a moment of gratitude. A moment of adversity or a moment of prosperity. And this is the second paradigm shift that needs to take place. So in your life, just because there's nothing greatly going wrong, it doesn't mean you're not being tried. It just means you're being tried in a different fashion. So while someone else is in like, you know, another part of the world, they're facing like a, a communal struggle in a place like, you know, Palestine where our brothers and sisters are struggling. That is a moment of pain. That is their pain. That is, you know, Allah calling them back, turn back to Allah and Allah will take care of your affairs. But in a place like Calgary, our struggle is completely different. Allah has given us big houses. He's given us good jobs. He's given us lots of money, a government that cares for its people and all those things are there. So there's no pain to remind you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but rather your remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that has to be self-initiated. Something that you have to do yourself because there's nothing there to remind you of it. So that's the first thing you need to learn to expect these trials. Number two, is that in moments that deal with pain, in moments that deal with pain, are they a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or are they a hidden prize and reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And this is something that needs to be thought about. Because if it's purely a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that means that Allah is out to destroy you. And that means that you would have died and your life would no longer continue and you wouldn't have an opportunity to repent. Because that is what the adab and punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That it destroys nations and destroys people. 
Whereas on the other hand, it is a reminder from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for you to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I want you to take an example. So imagine your time in elementary school. Think about your time in elementary school. That when you're in elementary school, what was the favorite part of the day of every child? It was going out for recess, going out for lunch break. So that you would go out in recess, you'd go out in lunch break, and all of a sudden we start chasing this small ball. You're playing soccer, you're playing basketball, you're playing in the dirt, in the sand. And eventually the time goes by very, very quickly. And then eventually a bell goes off and it reminds you that you have to go back into class. Now I want you to think about what does the child feel at that time when that is happening? What type of emotion is that child feeling? Most children, they feel upset, they feel angry. They're like, why do I have to go back into class? You know, I'm having fun right now. But then when that bell rings, it's a sound to go back to class. And they get reminded, hey, you're here in school for a greater purpose. It's okay to have fun, it's okay to play sports, but it's for a limited amount of time. Similarly, the trials that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends us serve the exact same purpose. That when a person strays from the remembrance of Allah, the trial is Allah's bell reminding you that it's time to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's time to remember Allah, that you're on this dunya for a greater purpose and a greater motive. And that is to worship Allah and to be a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> the third perspective that you need to change when it comes to trials that have pain with it, is understanding and realizing that even while the trial is going on, you are benefiting from it without even realizing it. How so? Just to give you one hadith, subhanAllah, this is such a powerful hadith, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he mentions the case of an individual that perhaps could be any one of us over here. That we have our struggles with life, we commit the sins that we commit. And that we know in reality how many sins we actually have, while no one else knows the reality of it. So we show up on the Day of Judgment and Allah has presented our good deeds in front of us. And now you're waiting, for your bad deeds to come forward. You're waiting for the sins that you committed that Allah will present them to you. But then you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and eventually nothing is brought forth. And you're confused. You're dumbfounded, flabbergasted. Where did my sins go? So you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, I committed this sin and I committed that sin. On this day I did this and on that day I did that. But none of it is being presented to me. Why is this the case? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you that for each trial and each tribulation that you went through in life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave you for your sins. So here you are on the day of judgment without any sins altogether. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave you for your sins through the trials and tribulations that you went through. And this is why the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us that the son of Adam is not even pricked by a thorn except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is purifying some of his sins. The fourth perspective when it comes to trials and tribulations is that these painful trials and tribulations are a reminder of the true nature of this world. That when you think about this life, this dunya presents itself in a very devious and cunning way. That it makes it seem as if everything is so luxurious and that if you just get this new car, you will be happy. If you get this new iPod and iPad and iPhone, you will be happy. If you get this new house, you will be happy. And you keep chasing it time and time again. But lo and behold, you are still not happy. That is the deception of this dunya. That this dunya makes you think you can attain happiness in it. But when these trials and tribulations strike, they're a reminder for you of the true nature of this world. 
that the true nature of this world is that you will never attain happiness in it. And in fact, it is only there for struggle and toil. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ That he was created, mankind was created to be in a state of toil, just to work and work and work and not attain that happiness. And through those trials and tribulations, Allah finally hits it home. That you were created for a greater home. You were created for Jannah. You were created for paradise. And that is your final abode. And that is what you are being prepared for with these trials and tribulations. If you would only take the time to reflect. The fifth and last perspective in understanding our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is understanding the fact that the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always just around the corner. You know, if you look into the Quran, we have the story of Yunus alayhi salam, our beloved prophet. And we tell this story to our young children as if it is a fairy tale, as if it is a fable. But in reality, this is a real story that took place. And there's a very valuable lesson in this story. That Yunus alayhi salam, he is swallowed whole by a whale. What are the chances of that happening? That even if you did get swallowed by a whale, what are the chances if you would be swallowed completely whole? It's very unlikely that that would happen. And then what are the chances you would stay alive? Now I want you to imagine what happens at this time. He's swallowed by a whale. The whale doesn't stay on the surface of the water. He goes down into the depths of the ocean in absolute darkness. There's nothing else there. No one can hear him. No one can help him except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Yunus alayhi salam, he understands this fact. And this is a reminder for all of us that each and every one of us at one time or another, we will be in a dark spot. We will be in a dark place where no one knows our struggle, no one knows our pain, no one knows our darkness except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Yunus alayhi salam, he teaches us a very valuable lesson. That valuable lesson is communicating and conversing with, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah tells us, فَنَادَى فِي الظُّلُمَاتِ أَن لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتْ سُبْحَانَكَ إِنِّي كُنْتُ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ That, oh Allah, there's no one worthy of worship except for you. I have been of those who wrong and oppress themselves. So he recognizes the greatness of Allah and he recognizes his own weakness. And this was his communication with Allah. And similarly, when you are in your dark place, that is the time you submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Submit in your weakness to the one that has no weakness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you call out to Allah just like Yunus alayhi salam did. And then look at the response that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives Yunus. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say, وَكَذَلِكَ نَجَّيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْغَمِ And thus we saved Yunus alayhi salam, that which was causing him sorrow, that which was causing him distress. And then we saved him. But you'll notice that when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always gives you more than you ask for, particularly with the prophets. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He continues on this verse to say, That just like we saved Yunus salam from his sorrow and from his grief, we shall save all of the believers as well if they were to have the exact same reaction. If they were to have the exact same reaction. So this in summary, my dear brothers and sisters, is how to understand our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That in fact, everything that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our way, is in our best interests. If you, look at, if you look at it through this lens, a lens of positivity, a lens of understanding Allah's mercy and compassion and love. 
And bithillahi ta'ala, next week, next Friday, we'll be discussing from the very beginning how to improve our deen, our finances, our social lives, and all the other components that we spoke about. And that'll be next week's halaqa. Now moving forward after that, after you have an individual, you have a family unit after that. So you have brothers that are, and sisters that are looking to get married. So we'll, the third halakha will be about you know, what to look for in a spouse, what does marriage mean in Islam, what are ways to facilitate marriage. That you, know, you may be hitting 27, 28, 29 years old, brother or sister, you can't seem to get married. What solutions do you have to facilitate that marriage? Then we move on to the fourth halaqa. The fourth halaqa is going to be about now that you're married, your honeymoon phase is over and you realize you've married a monster. How do you cope with that monster now? You know, how do you prevent from always being at each other's throats? That's what the fourth halaqa is. The fifth halaqa is going to be about raising your children ta'ala. And the sixth and last halaqa of this series will be if you need to part, if you need to split up that unit that we have just created, how do you do it in the best of ways? And what are the Sharia regulations for divorce and you know, nullifying a marriage contract? That will be the last halaqa. So that in summary is going to be our Friday night halaqa for the next six weeks, ta'ala. and then Sheikh Hassan will be taking over from the beginning of January, and I believe he'll be doing something related to Islamic finance at that time. So I just wanted to give you guys a glimpse uh, in terms of what we'll be discussing, so you have an idea what each and Friday night will be like. Now what I need from all of you is that as you guys realize, our time is very limited. We start at 7 o'clock and Isha is 8 o'clock. So with your questions, we need to be done by 8 o'clock. Because at 8.30 we have the youth center uh, where we start playing basketball and other you know, recreational activities. So we have to have everything done by 8 o'clock. So what I need from all of you is that I need you guys to show up at 6.55. Don't even aim for 7 o'clock because you usually end up coming in at 7.05. But aim for 6.55 so at least you're here by 7 o'clock and we can start on time. Just like you saw the activity today, I'm not going to repeat the activity next week. So bring your activities with you. The papers that you filled out next to, uh, this week, bring your activities with you and within Allah Ta'ala will continue to focus on it for another week. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barik ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik ashadu la ilaha illant. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.